Uh, a couple of years ago, the West Company, uh, London Junk, launched what was the world's first ever West Collection Day gift experience. Uh, those who, at the time they launched it, it was for £300. But now, I was, I was checking online, it, you get this gift for £150. Uh, those who get this gift are guaranteed the pleasure of collecting rubbish uh, from London, sort it, and unload it at the recycling center. As I said, the gift package is going very strong. Why would they come up with such a package? Well, apparently it's targeted at environmentalists who are really concerned about such things, and especially pampered executives who are eager to get their hands dirty for the first time in their lives. And of course, those difficult to buy for family members and friends. Here is a gift that will really excite them, get them going for the rest of it, get their hands dirty. I guess many of us think it is a rubbish gift, don't we? Right? But I think it's also fair to say it is also the most appropriate gift, I think, to give someone for Christmas. Why do I say that? Well, because it perfectly illustrates what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God entering a dark and dirty world in order to clean up all the rubbish of our lives, all the rubbish of sin. That's why God has come as a cleaner, so to speak, as a, uh, to clean us up. The author of creation wrote himself in our story. He chose to fill our flesh and blood so that he can meet us where we are. Where are we? In the mess, in the dark and dirty world. And this Christmas, we have been looking at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. We have witnessed Jesus being born in chapter 1. Uh, we have seen Joseph welcome Jesus. And we are encouraged that we must welcome Jesus in our lives as Joseph did it. We have also seen the Magi, the wise men, leave Babylon. And we think that journey took them at least two years to get to Jerusalem, then Bethlehem. And we were encouraged, weren't we, in that carol service, family carol service, that we must be like the Magi. We must worship Christ the King. Not just with words, but with our substance. Well, this morning we are ending our Christmas journey by looking at the painful and messy events of Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 23. And this passage really talks to us about the hope of Christmas, the hope that Jesus brings into this world. And there are three things I just want us to remember this morning uh, for you to think about as you are enjoying your Christmas lunch with family members or you are catching up with relatives over the phone. There are three passages, the three truths here. The first truth is that the coming of Jesus brings hope in the middle of danger. Jesus brings hope in the middle of danger. So it's been a long day. The Magi, you know from verse 12, have come and gone, right? So Mary and Joseph decided to catch up on some sleep. It's been a long day. They have seen amazing things. And they must be tired. And so they decide to go to bed. And then the unexpected happens. Look at verse 13 there. He says, now when they had departed, that is the Magi, the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, 
For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Now, some of the fathers in this room may remember a time when you were fast asleep at night and your wife woke you up from from the sleep. Why is she waking you up? Well, she says, we have an emergency. The water has broken. It is time to get to the hospital. And uh, if you are like me, you are scrambling for some keys. Just, oh, you don't, you don't really want to get up, do you? <laughs> but you have to get up. You scramble for some keys in commotion and panic. And, of course, you get in the car and it must be done. Well, Joseph is having that sort of emergency, but it's much bigger than that. The angel has come, has appeared in his dream, and has just told him to get out of town. Why? Because the government, the entire machinery of the government at the time, is hunting them down. A bit like how the Americans were hunting Edward Snowden from Hong Kong all the way until he got to Russia. That's what's happening. Herod has amassed his troops and is hunting baby Jesus. And as we expect, when they get this news, they quickly pack their bags and they leave for Egypt. Look at verse 14. And he rose, that is Joseph, and took the child and his mother, that is Mary, by night and departed to Egypt. Now, I just want to make the point here. This journey to Egypt is, is over 75 miles. King Jesus has been born. The Magi has, come, has acknowledged him as king. They brought the gifts. Now they are having to flee to Egypt, right? There is no military escort. They are living at night time. And we can imagine Mary and Joseph constantly looking on their shoulders uh, just to see if Pharaoh's gentlemen are after them still. And they are worried about bandits in the road. We read the parable of the Samaritan. People get robbed. This is a father and his wife and his little one. God, by design, of course, has given them money already, hasn't he? Because those three gifts he's given them, I'm sure, will prove very handy when they get to Egypt. But it's still, they still need protection. It's dangerous, this trip to Egypt. And as I thought about this, it reminded me that I was quite surprised about this, actually, as I thought about what's going on here. And I hope it surprises you, because you would think raising God the Son as your baby would be the fun thing to do. <laughs> but think about poor Mary up to now. She, just for raising God the Son in this world, she has suffered shame. She's now suffering danger. We think of some of our children and we wish they were God the Son, right? But listen, look, this is what raising God the Son looks like. It is dangerous. It is a dangerous business. And as I thought about this passage, the Bible is reminding us here that the closer you are to Jesus, the more danger and opposition you are likely to face in this world. That's quite an interesting thing to note. There's a lot of blessings in turning to Jesus and having him as your Savior. But the Bible doesn't sort of sell us to this as sort of free Christmas gift presents with no, just receive them. No, coming to Jesus will mean for many of us the closer we know Jesus, the more danger we invite in our lives. Why is that? Because the devil and the world hates Jesus. Jesus himself said, what John said, the light has come. In fact, it's Jesus who said this in, in, in John chapter 3. The light has come. And men love darkness instead of light. John 15, Jesus himself says this, verse 18 to 20, If the world hates you, know that he has hated me before he hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you. They will put you on television. They will just be 
over the moon for you. But you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So being in crisis it involves a lot of danger. And I think I'm reminding you this Christmas Day um, because you need to remember that following Jesus is not an insurance policy against suffering. I think it's actually quite the opposite. You see, on top of the ordinary suffering that every human being experiences in this world, following Jesus means additional suffering. The suffering for just following Jesus. You are taking on more enemies, the world, the devil, the flesh. And that's why Peter says this, especially in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 13. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, right? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Isn't that amazing? And you're probably sitting here this morning, if you're not a believer, you're asking, that's not a very good advert for following Jesus, isn't it? And as Christians probably thinking, well, is there something more positive? This is not not something that draws people to Christ. Well, that scripture by Peter is the difference. You see, because the difference is that being with Jesus, yes, brings additional danger and suffering, but it is worth it because God allows it in our lives for a reason. And when we go back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 23, we see that here. Matthew says the reason God has allowed the family to face danger and run to Egypt. Why? It is to fulfill his plan. Let's read verse 14 of Matthew chapter 2. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. Why? This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Matthew here is saying, this is not by accident. What the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Even in the danger, God is at work here. Matthew says the reason God has allowed the family to face danger is to fulfill his plan. Matthew is quoting Hosea 11 verse 1 here actually, which reminds us that God delivered his people from their slavery in Egypt. So Jesus is going there as God the Son. Him going there, this is symbolic. It is telling us that Jesus is a true king of Israel who has come to deliver all who trust in him, not from a physical Egypt, but from a spiritual Egypt of spiritual darkness. Out of spiritual darkness, I called my son. And if you are in Christ, God calls you out of spiritual darkness. The birth of Jesus, you see, is amazing. It is the dawn of a new messianic age that brings hope to those who live under the darkness of sin, under the darkness of death, and under the darkness of never-ending punishment from God. As I reminded you at the car service um, by candlelight evening, those with the fourfold darkness we face in this world. We face the darkness of sin, I said. We face the darkness of death. All of us are under death. We are cut off from the life of God. And we face the darkness of never-ending punishment from God because we have rebelled against God. 
God has placed us all who reject him under never-ending punishment. Why? Because his justice must be satisfied. We wanted God who punished Hitler. We wanted God who punished Saddam. We wanted God who takes sin seriously. And God has placed all rejecting under such never-ending punishment. And the fourth darkness is the darkness of, of, of suffering we go through in this world. And that, panic, that, that, that darkness will be eliminated in the new world to come. And if you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus, you have been delivered from this fourfold darkness. You are now safe and secure in the eternal and glorious kingdom of Jesus. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And if you are in Christ, he has called you out of Egypt. You are now in the light. And you need to be reminded of this truth, especially on this Christmas day. As I think about Christmas, I think many, for many followers of Jesus, Christmas can be very challenging. Yes, we receive wonderful gifts and the kids are running around and they're enjoying themselves, but Christmas can be very challenging for many followers of Jesus. You'll be spending time with, with some family members and friends who don't know Jesus. And the thing you want to talk about the lot is what they don't want to talk about. The glory of Christ. The coming of Jesus in this world. And as you spend with family members, old wounds may resurface. You may find yourself in situations where you experience fears about your family. Because of course, old wounds resurface. You may find fears about work as you, as you think about work coming uh, the year ahead of you, you may be enjoying Christmas, but you're worrying about what's coming around the corner. Perhaps you are entering Christmas, you, you're experiencing Christmas today with health concerns, and, and that will worry you as even as you are eating that Christmas dinner. I don't mean that you worry about your, <laughs> your, your sort of uh, nice Christmas pudding, but I mean general health concerns, isn't it? I should worry about Christmas pudding. But also worrying about just generally losing control. Uh, nearly everywhere it's clear that this time of great gathering of families is full of squabbling. Domestic violence shoots up on Christmas Day and beyond. There will be many, many, many calls being, filtered, being, being received in, in, in January from counseling centers and so forth. It is hard being on Christmas, even for believers of Jesus. But Jesus is saying to you this morning, do not fear any dangers ahead of you. Because I entered this world in the middle of danger. And because you are in me, I bring hope in the middle of any dangers you face. Trust me. I am with you. And that's the first truth we learn here. Jesus brings hope in the middle of danger. The second truth I just want to share with you this morning is that Jesus brings, the coming of Jesus brings hope in the middle of darkness. Let's rejoin Matthew. Matthew now, like a good film director, switches his camera. So if we are looking at Jesus fleeing to, with the family to Egypt, the camera now has switched, right? But he hasn't just switched back to Bethlehem. It has switched back in time. He rewinds now back in time to when the family was fleeing to Egypt. And as you are watching this on television today, uh, we'll, we'll be seeing soldiers now arriving in Bethlehem at night, armed with machine guns and dropping out of helicopters and night goggles, as it were, 
What are they doing? Well, they are swamping Bethlehem and the entire region, nearby region. And the area is called red, isn't it? It's under government lockdown. No one is coming out of the area of Bethlehem and surrounding town. No one is going to go in. And we can see soldiers not kicking down doors, moving street by streets. Children are being dragged to the ground. There is blood spilling on the streets. Mothers are crying out for their lost infants. In this dark night, historians estimate at least 30 children under the age of two were killed in cold blood in Bethlehem alone. Remember, it's Bethlehem and surrounding towns. Here is how Matthew records it for us in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. Why? According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. It's been two years since the wise men first saw the star in Babylon and made their way. And Herod has calculated two and under must be killed. The word of darkness that has descended on the Christmas town of Bethlehem and the whole neighboring region is too heavy for us to bear. It is too heavy for us to process this. We should pause here when we think about Christmas and agree that these type of events are difficult to read in the Bible. We are wondering to ourselves, I was wondering to myself, why is this event in the Bible? Why would God allow so many children to be murdered on account of his son? I think there are three reasons. I think there are more, but I've got three just for you here. First of all, it is, to, it is here to remind us that God is not blind to the evil done against all babies in this world. He doesn't sweep anything under the carpet. You see, people are skeptical about the Bible that sort of the men sat down and decided to add this in the Bible, remove that and that, and edit it. But the Bible is it's there. It records the ugly. If I was writing the Bible, I would leave this out. But God puts it there because it's a record of history. It happens. And also, God is not trying to sweep anything under the carpet. He's saying, read this, know that I know, I see babies that are murdered both in the womb and those who are murdered in, by cause of genocides and other things. God does not sweep anything under the carpet. In fact, the tragic events of that first Christmas are recorded openly to remind us that all human life, all life matters including the life of the unborn in the womb. All life matters to God. Secondly, it is here to help us see what sin has done to us. You know, many of us believe in the goodness of human beings, and when I speak to people, they tell me that I'm a good person, and I deserve to go to heaven, etc., etc. And when you talk about the human race, I say, don't you see the darkness around you? They say, no, 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 people are just born good. This event is here in the Bible because God knows that's your answer. It's here in the Bible to remind you that this is what sin has done to humanity. It has turned us 
into monsters who kill defenseless children for self-fulfillment. You know, in one of the Batman films, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, the villain, Ben, famously says in the film, if you've seen it, no one cared who I was until I put on the mask. That's what he says. No one cared who I was until I put on the mask. The point Ben was making in the film is that all human beings are willfully in denial of the reality of evil in this world. And we only acknowledge evil when we see, when we read about the unearthly matters, or when we read about many people being killed in Syria, or we read about some terrible bombing taking place, or we see it at London Bridge. Or we that is when we realize, no, we are not good people. This world is fallen. You see, the murder of these babies, like the evil of the Holocaust and the Rwandan genocide, reminds us the heart of man is truly depraved. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot. And that brings us to the final thing I think this episode is trying to teach us here. God is allowing this tragedy to point us to the only answer to our darkness. And the answer is in, this, in the face of this child. This toddler now, two years old. The child that Herod hopes to kill. Look at verse 17 to 18. Notice it starts off the word then. The reason this has happened. Verse 17. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud Lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. You know, the, Matthew is taking these words from Jeremiah 31, verse 15, where the prophet Jeremiah describes the suffering of God's people when they were taken into exile in Babylon. And to understand them, we must read what he says after them in verse 16 to verse 17 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verse 16 to 17 says this. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy, that is Babylon. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. Uh, That prophecy is not simply about the exile, but it's also about God looking forward to a time when you restore Israel, when you bring Israel, when you bring the captives back to Israel. And and the captives did come back to Israel from Babylon. But the full fulfillment of that event awaited the arrival of baby Jesus. This baby Herod wants to kill. The message here is that just as, just as the Jews went into exile, all of us who are now in the exile of darkness have been brought back by this baby Jesus through his death on the cross. As we read this, Matthew wants us to take, what he wants us to take away is that this tragedy is not an accident. God is allowing it to show the depth of our darkness and most importantly to point to Jesus who came away to take away this human darkness, this evil. Jesus is the great light shining in darkness. The Bible says 30 years later, you see, 
This Jesus, who escapes Herod's murder, bravely walks to the cross and identifies himself with the murdered babies. Jesus willingly and helplessly lays down his life like a child and dies for us on the cross. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. Jesus hasn't left those children just dying there. 30 years later, he identifies with them and helplessly dies with them. The hope of Christmas, you see, is that our Lord has confronted and defeated our darkness of sin and ended our painful and evil exile from our God. If you are in Christ, this is your hope. The hope of Christmas is that if you're trusting in Jesus, no matter what blanket of darkness you face in this world, Jesus is now your great light. And I'll just pause here to say, it is also reminding us, if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, you are choosing to face this darkness on your own. I don't know why anyone would do that. Because here is God dying for you. And if you're in Christ, you can rejoice at that. Jesus is now your great light. Before you were covered in total darkness, now you are enveloped by the dazzling light of Jesus. And nothing will ever change that for you if you are in Christ. And so when you stumble in the darkness of sin, some of you at the moment are stumbling in the darkness of sin, there is no need to run away from Jesus. No. Go back to him. Let him envelope you with his light. Go back to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Why would you run away from Christ? The world has nothing to offer us. So as a child of God, repent of your sin and let his light lighten your path. And most importantly, because you are truly in Jesus from now on, your future is an ever-increasing torrent of loving light of Jesus. You are just now basking in the light upon light. And God is growing you every day to experience the rich blessings of his light through your many ups and downs. Yet, but his light is just being poured and poured anew. Beloved, we cannot even begin to imagine what God has in store for us in the new heavens and new earth. We have light now, but there's more light to come. When Jesus appears, himself, who is truly light. You know, 2 Corinthians Reminds us there, isn't it, of the dazzling light. We see in the mirror darkly, don't we? Uh, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians. No eye has seen what the Lord has in store for those who love him. If you are in Jesus, your eternity will be an ever deeper daily plunge into the immeasurable light of Jesus. Always taking in more and more of his love and light. All because of Christmas. So those are the two things. Jesus brings hope in the middle of danger and Jesus brings hope in the middle of uh, in the middle of darkness and the final quick point, Jesus brings hope in the middle of defeat. In the middle of defeat. Matthew takes us forward in time. I said we have a flashback. Now Matthew takes us back to Egypt. (laughs) Herod has died and the angel of the Lord appears again. In the dream, it is time to go back home. Let's read verse 19 to 20. 
But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Now, we don't know how long they have been in, in, in Egypt. But what we know is that as soon as they hear the command from God, the Christmas family immediately pack their bags and head back home to Bethlehem. Let's read verse 21. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Right? I imagine Joseph must be excited to lead his family back from Egypt to Bethlehem. But as soon as they arrive in Israel, they hear some bad news. Let's read verse 22. And when he heard that Achilles was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned, lots of dreams here, being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So what's happening here is that Herod is not, Herod the Great, too many Herods here, Herod the Great is dead, the one who killed the infants. The country is now divided among his three sons. Achelas is ruling Judea in the south. This includes Bethlehem. Herod Antipas, the guy we've been meeting a lot in Mark, uh, is ruling Galilee to the north. And Philip, his half-brother, is reigning over Samaria, the central province. Achelas is a brutal leader deeply hated by the Jews. By the way, the Herodians are not Jews, they're Edomites. And they are hated by the Jews. So Joseph decides not to go back to Bethlehem on account of the word he's received. Instead, he's directed for his safety and the family's safety to go to Nazareth. Let's read on verse 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. That was spoken by, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. I just want to make you, make, just encourage you to note this point. Humanly speaking, what has happened here? The return of the family to Nazareth is actually a defeat. Humanly speaking, it looks like a failure. Even men like Herod the Great and his son, Achilles, seem to have triumphed. We are asking ourselves, God knows Achilles is there. Why doesn't he just send legions of angels to get rid of Achilles and the family can go back to Bethlehem? But no, he allows Joseph and the family to embrace defeat. Disappointment. Yes, Aaron and Aaron the Great and his son have not killed Jesus, but they have forced Joseph and Mary to return to Nazareth. And you have to remember that Nazareth is that place of shame. It's where they are from. It's where the local town gossip would have been going on about them and this illegitimate child. Mary's legit, illegitimate child. And so they don't really want to go back to Nazareth, I think. Instead, they, they want to go back to Bethlehem. And I imagine as they now go back to Nazareth, Mary is walking down in shame on the market store. She's back in town, but where have you been? She doesn't, I would imagine it's very difficult for her living in that place. It's the last place she wants to be. But Mary is embracing shame and defeat for the sake of the Son of God. And this passage teaches us a crucial lesson. Again, do you see, being with Jesus brings danger, but being with Jesus also does not insulate us from failure or defeat in our lives. Disappointments, frustrations. These things are part of living in the fallen world. And I just want to encourage you this Christmas morning to consider this truth. 
Because I think it is hard for us to accept. We live in a culture addicted to winning and success. Many of us have compromised our faith. We have compromised our, our, our love for Jesus. Because we have joined in the gravy train of wanting winning and success in this world. We long to be in Bethlehem and not Nazareth. But when we, read, when, we, when we read in the Bible that God loves us and means well for us, uh, in fact, we are tempted to think that means everything in our life will be better. Sadly, many people come to faith in Jesus expecting their lives to improve. Better job prospect. Because God, in our life, our, my job will be better. After all, I'll be thinking better now. Right? We expect our health to be fantastic. We expect family life to be plain sailing. We expect God to give us partners we, we long for because, of course, we were, we were longing for such things. There are many things we, we, many of us come to Jesus expecting him to just improve our physical life. And so when we fail in something or we're defeated by circumstances, we quietly cry out to God, God, are you still there? Why have you abandoned me? I thought you promised me a great life in this world. Are you not my father who's ruling over everything? But the Christmas passage is teaching us that no, 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 no. God is not abandoning us. It's quite the opposite. He often works through our frustrations and defeats. You see, what seems like a setback for Mary and Joseph is not by accident. God has prevented them from going to Bethlehem for a reason. Look at verse 23 again. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. That why? that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. If you read your Bible very well, you know that Matthew says here that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. And that's right. Because there's no single prophet that says he will be called a Nazarene. In fact, not, they don't even talk about Nazareth. So what Matthew is talking about here is what we learn in the Gospel accounts. Uh, especially uh, we learn that Nazareth was not a very well-respected place. John chapter 1, verse 45 says this. Remember Nathaniel? Nathaniel asked, he says, Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then Philip said those wonderful words. Come and see. You see, the Nazarenes were scorned, despised, derided. And it is this idea of scorn that is all over the prophets, most famously in Isaiah 53, verse 3. When he speaks of the coming of Jesus, he says he was despised and rejected by men. We might replace those words with he was a Nazarene, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So Matthew is using Nazarene as a euphemism for rejection. Jesus has come to identify with those who are rejected. Those who suffer defeat in life. Are you suffering defeat in your life today? In any area of your life? Are you challenges where you're just trying to get through you? Don't seem to be making headway. And you're trusting in Jesus. Well, you are identifying with Jesus. You can call yourself a Nazarene. He will be called a Nazarene, Jesus, because he will suffer defeat and rejection by his people. But listen to me, in his suffering, defeat, and rejection, there lies the hope of Christmas. Because you see, it is through God coming as a baby and living a rejected life 
and dying a rejected death on the cross, that we are accepted by God forever. The Christmas story says to us, God loves losers. God loves those who are disappointed. God loves those that are struggling to make headway. God loves those who have no claim in life. God loves those for whom the world is not worthy. God loves those who have little achievement. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. God has come for failures. God has not come for those who think they have it all together, who think they can manage the darkness of sin. They can manage the darkness of everlasting punishment. They can manage the darkness of suffering. They, they can manage the darkness of never-ending separation from God. No, no, no. God has come for those that have admitted, I am a failure. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross of Christ I bring. And this is the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that the coming of Jesus brings hope to all his true followers facing danger, darkness and defeat in the world. So this Christmas, perhaps a strange message for you to think about. This Christmas, if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ, no matter how your life looks, no matter what the, the afternoon throws at you at the family table, no matter what challenges you face, you have it all already in Christ. You really do. Because Christ is with you in the middle of those circumstances. And if you do not know Jesus, wow, this Christmas is an invitation for you to consider afresh, beginning today, going in 2020, the claims of Christ. God isn't trying to coax you in and tied up stuff. God is offering you himself in the middle of your mess to save you, to give you a hope for this life and beyond this one. Well, may the Lord help all of us to rest fully on Jesus, our God, and our hope. Amen.